The Tablet Show, episode 109, with guest Josh Johnson. Recorded live Friday, October 25th, 2013. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Josh Johnson about mobile development and testing. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to the Tablet Show. It's Carl and Richard. It's uh, tabletflavored.net rocks is what it is. We can do a little of that, yeah. Yeah. And some mobile. A little mobile here and there. Did you see the giant surface that Microsoft put up in Trafalgar Square in London? Oh, that was awesome. How big was it? 380 inches 380 inches, yeah. Go to tinyurl.com slash giant surface. You see, it's a Microsoft Surface, you know, notebook, but it's huge, and the keyboard works, I guess. I mean, I don't know if it works, but... People have to jump on it. There's (laughs) pictures of people jumping on it. That's awesome. It was pretty fun. Um, Well, I got an interesting Better Know Framework today. Well, then let's do it. All right, buddy, what do you got? All right, so this is an app for uh, iOS. And uh, if you go to tinyurl.com slash mailbox tamer, the app is actually called Mailbox. Mailbox for iPhone and iPad. And it's a little procrastinator program. It sort of organizes your inbox and helps you just deal with if you have too many emails. And it's Gmail only. Let's you quickly archive emails with a swipe or turn them into task-like entities to deal with them later. So the emphasis is on speed and simplicity and let you slice through your mountain of messages in, in minutes. So you're, you're basic, it's basically a digital procrastinator, but it'll help you feel a little organized. And there you go. It's famous. This is a, a, a pretty famous app, actually, is in, in terms of like the best mailbox app for a phone ever made. Yeah, uh, it's right. I mean, I don't have an iPhone, so I, but it was, you know, on the top 10 apps list. So there must be a lot of people using it. It's just amazing because mail's built in. So, you know, the fact that people care that much, it's got to be really astonishing. Right. Good. Now, if we can just get one of those for Windows 8. Yeah. <laughs> well, who would have <laughs> Gmail problems with Windows 8? I can't imagine. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Who's talking to us, buddy? Hey, I grabbed a comment off of show 107, and that's the one we did with John Breslin when we were in Ireland in Galway. Yep. And, you know, I didn't know which way that conversation was going to go, but we ended up really drilling into this whole concept of startups and building internet businesses in a place like Ireland, which I thought was a really cool conversation. Well, and it's a good conversation to have there with students who are at a tech school, you know, and uh, I think it was really good for them in Ireland, you know, where the economy is trying to bounce back and we're trying to get to get going again. And so there's a lot of places like that. And Tim Bergignon commented, he said, uh, hi, Carl and Richard. Great discussion as always. One thing that struck me, though, nobody mentioned the elephant in the room. How many of those, estimating 20% of your audience, green entrepreneurs are actually going to try? It's very nice to estimate the tech part of actually building something to only 10% of the job. But if you don't get this first step out of the door, you're toast. I see so many people failing and even trying. Furthermore, among students who most often are not even raised to follow, then to try, innovate, or lead, 
I think it needs to be said again and again and again. Mm. Cheers from across the pond. Mm. And, you know, this basic concept of who's willing to try a startup came up all over our road trip. I mean, we went to the UK, we went to Bulgaria, we went to Ireland, and then I was off in Romania for a week after that when you went home. Yeah. Everywhere I went, there were conversations about startups. And it occurred to me that the side effect of the economic downturn that happened in 2008, 2009 was to sort of shake the confidence of a lot of young people in traditional employment and make that startup market seem even more appealing. Mm. That, okay, if, we, if the over there isn't safe either, why don't we do something unsafe that has a huge potential, that we have more control over our destiny, that we can work on more of the things we want to work on? Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and now my real experience spending a month in Europe was this isn't about the Silicon Valley anymore. This is happening everywhere, and it's more than ever before because of that shaking. Mm-hmm. So, Tim, thanks so much for your comment. It's certainly been on my mind, and this whole uh, area of thinking is really important to me. A tablet show mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a tablet show mug, just write a comment on the website at thetabletshow.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for the tablet show now. So that's iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. Just go to your respective app stores, and you can download them there. And that brings us to our guest, Josh Johnson. He's an iOS developer at Two Toasters. Over the last 15 years, he's built software for an array of different industries and clients, including custom plugins for AutoCAD, web applications, and applications for Mac and iOS. He organizes the local chapter of Cocoa Heads, and when not spelunking the Cocoa Frameworks, he reviews bad movies on a podcast. <laughs> Josh lives in Raleigh with his wife and two teenage kids. Welcome, Josh. Thanks. Nice to be here. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. What's, uh, what's Two Toasters all about? Uh, it's about bad. No, I'm not. No, the podcast is bad movies. Two Toasters is about. Um, we uh, are a consulting company. We consult with a lot of companies, many startups, in fact, um, um, both in New York and San Francisco and all over the all over the place. Um, we mostly do iOS and Android. So we have two teams. We have an Android team, and we have an iOS team. So I'm a I'm a member of the iOS team. <laughs> so all native development. Yes, all native development. We had a couple web-based ones early, but we've we've really found the niche and kind of we we do we also do the design work. So we have three staff on staff designers that will build a custom solution or custom interface or you know user experience for whatever app we're working on at the time. So we we kind of take it from from the ground up. With you know, a lot of clients being startups, will come in and be like, you know, we want an app for what we're working on and we'll we'll work with them directly on how the best way to take it to the mobile platform, you know, what what the best, you know, recommendations are, what the best design patterns are and we'll then design it and then develop it all all together. What would you say is your most famous app? Cuz you got quite a list of them here. Yeah, we the most famous one that probably people have heard of is um, our Android team actually did the Airbnb app for Android. Nice. So Airbnb mm. built their own iOS app, and you guys did the conversion. That's well. I think I'm not really sure how it worked. That was a little bit before my time, but I think it wasn't quite directly a conversion. So I think they they implemented it alone. But I could be totally wrong on that. So. <laughs> That's fair. It's quite a roster of projects, and it's cool to see you know a group of guys working that hard and building great stuff. Yeah, the project I'm working on right now, we just we're, we're wrapping up this month actually. Um, 
our involvement in it. And we're we were actually featured by iOS as part of their you know launch for iOS seven. So we had you know the big banners at the top of the screen, and we were in the design for iOS seven feature, which was you know really really good for you know our client obviously and good for us because our client we we we've worked deals with some of our clients you know advertise that we worked with them on on said projects mm, so nice so yeah it was and we also did a, like a little open source tool we built for that project so we got to, to yeah, share some of the design stuff publicly as well and i don't want to get off on too big of a tangent from the show i think we meant to do but we just did this show with mark miller talking about ios 7 so as an as an ios guy like how do you feel about ios 7 was it really that big of a leap is it got a lot of warts how do you feel about it I think, I mean, I think from a user point of view, it's great. I mean, obviously the color palette that a lot of people first saw was a little much to, a lot, you know, a little bit to swallow. Um, but as I've used it more, I, I, I really enjoy it. And, and, you know, going back, we're still supporting iOS 6. So, you know, I have to test on iOS 6 as well. And when I go back and test it there, it feels ancient. It feels like, you know, I've traveled to some other planet where they, they haven't upgraded which you know is a lot of people um but i think overall from a user point of view it's 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 a it's a really good update now from the api level there's a lot of new tools and things that we can do um many of which aren't obviously backwards compatible so for for example the project that i'm talking about we we actually took the approach of we designed it for iOS 7, but we implemented it as if it was iOS 6 and only did the iOS 7 stuff where we could. So it's a little bit of a weird world, but I've heard developing for iOS 7 only is is really the way to go. And it's it's almost a breaking point. Like you almost want to not necessarily throw everything away. That's a little too much, but it's it's definitely a point where you, you look at what you have and you and you think about what makes sense to change and what makes sense to upgrade. And obviously now we have a whole physics engine behind every view. So that adds a lot of fun things we can do. And, you know, if it makes you feel any better. We definitely have the same disease in the .NET world. We, you know, we went through a whole bunch of rapid upgrades to .NET over the years and developers just wanted to move on and use the latest stuff. And of course, you know, the customers go kicking and screaming into the future you know, yeah. and you have all those old apps out there that are still working and they don't feel any need to upgrade. And you're like, no, but we want to write in the new stuff, man. You know, yeah. we just want the latest and greatest developer tools because they so, make it so much easier for us and we can do so much more. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. I, I, I definitely know what you mean. I mean, I, before I got into Mac and iOS, I was doing AutoCAD and they were there. That was the .NET API at one point. Or for it is still now, but for a while it was only C and Lisp. But uh, mm. once it moved to .NET, they were always like three years behind. It felt like so, like you know, Visual Studio two thousand eight would come out, and we'd be still working in two thousand five. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it's a constant battle. I I noticed there was an update to iOS seven recently, like the past few days. Actually, was it seven point one or point oh three? Yeah, it's zero seven dot oh dot three. I think it was just a an incremental small bug fix type update. So, well, looks like they they're making repairs, whatever the concerns may be. But I appreciate that it's a challenging change in development. That's means we're going to have some poor quality apps for a while, right? Yeah, I, I mean, you're going to see. I mean, I think there's a lot of apps still out there that haven't even been upgraded for the iPhone five. 
you know, you get the little letterbox <laughs> effect. So there's, I mean, with a million apps, there's a lot of, there's a lot of crap. So yeah, you can't help it with that many apps. There's got to be a lot of crap. So let's talk testing. Let's talk mobile testing and the multiple layers of things that have to all happen in, in the stack that you're using here. Okay. A lot of things, a lot of things have gotten better. I'll say, um, the, the, I, w- I would say the, uh, iOS and Mac ch- like tool chain for, for doing testing has always been kind of weak. Um, before the, you know, with the current release, we were at Xcode five, which is our, you know, came out with iOS seven back in June and it, it actually adds a lot of good testing elements, which we'll, we'll, we can talk about more. Um, but before that, you know, you had, for iOS, you didn't even really have a good way to run from the command line. There's some hacks that you could do to kind of force it to like run from a command line, you know, for for the purposes of running on a CI server of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's that's definitely improved. But traditionally, it's been kind of a difficult world to live in it's to to be an iOS tester. Right. Um, part of it is the tool chain, I think, but I think part of it is also just the environment of a of a mobile app and how it it behaves, you know. You, like if you're doing web testing, you can use something like Selenium and, and kind of script things out really easily. You don't have that that much in iOS. They, obviously, there's tools now that you can. So, which I guess I can get into. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, how far do you guys? I mean, do you want to talk unit testing all the way down to the, like our listeners know about unit testing? We've uh, talked about Cucumber on .NET Rocks, and um, we know a little bit okay. about that, of course, and. Uh, yeah, we're interested in what Calabash is all about, and um, okay, so I guess maybe we should start there. Sure. Well, let me let me just give you a little background, just so I can set the stage, so sure. you know where I'm coming. From. So I, uh, w- when I was doing AutoCAD customization, I didn't even know about testing. I mean, obviously, I knew about like pressing buttons and making sure what I was doing wasn't blowing up. <laughs> the I guess caveman testing, maybe. No, there's another Ooh. word for this. Uh, yeah, uh. yeah. Does it blow up? No. <laughs> Does it blow up? No, ship it. So yeah, press all buttons at once. Does it blow up? Yeah, yeah. And and but obviously that, that the problem there is you get into a you get in as a developer you get into that chain of you're testing what you know you've done kind of thing and you don't quite fully test all the different things that you've changed by changing thing X. Right. Sure. So I'm actually I, I I started learning about testing in maybe 2008 ish to somewhere around there and. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was doing. I, 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 it didn't make sense to me. It felt backwards. And, you know, there, there's probably people t- have talked about this a lot on your show about how you come into it and you, you, you really don't fully crock it. Right. You, you know, right. <laughs> the, uh, just the idea of, I mean, obviously testing is one side, but then there's the whole tester inside where you're like, you know, test, you're at test first and then write the code and implement. So it, it's been a long road for me in, in testing. Mm-hmm. I, I would still say I'm, I'm still on that road, <laughs> which I think everybody is. Sure. Um, so, so there's the different levels. There's unit testing where you're testing small functionality. There's integration testing where you're testing, you know, things working together. What Calabash fits into is is kind of a is kind of a a mix of a few different layers. So you're in like an integrate. I guess you're at a functional testing and an integration testing. The, the term that I've heard is user acceptance testing. Right. And the, the idea being that you write human readable scripts that the user or the client in our case 
um, somebody who is the, the decision maker of the project you're working on, firm that that's the behavior that they want. And you write these scripts in such a way that they can talk to the user elements. So you don't talk to like methods that you're writing, you talk to uh, the screen. So I'm on a login screen. What does a login screen do? Okay, the login screen has to be able to accept username and password. And when I hit enter, it should it should succeed. If I type in a wrong username and password and I hit enter, it should not succeed. Right. So that that's kind of the, the top, that's kind of the 10,000 foot level, if you will, where you're, you're, you're defining in a very English um, script, a very English looking script, what you're, you're trying to accomplish. Yep. And then, and then you move on to that. You, you have the script and now you can run it every time you build or every time you plan to ship and you get, that aside from all the unit tests that you're already building, you have the added benefit that your your users are seeing the same thing. So this is kind of where something like Selenium fits in in, in like the web world, where you're you're creating a script of what the user is doing. You're you know they're clicking this button, they're tapping this view, they're swiping on this view, but you don't have that in iOS because obviously iOS is a static. It's a you know a native app that is running in its own space and. You don't have that kind of scriptability that you do on a, on a, in a browser, of course. Right, because Selenium is a is a browser automation testing tool, right? Yeah, browser. It, it runs in the browser. It, it actually runs against a, a server that's Java based that you also run. So it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird setup. But as I've seen, I think a lot of them have to deal with these weird things. Which I was just about to say with with uh, Calabash, you, you you have to kind of because iOS is a, you know, it's a native app and you're not running a script. You're running, you're actually talking to the, the buttons accessibility options. So iOS has that ability to build in and, and the way these scripts work is it actually will talk to those items directly. So you identify a button as, you know, the login button and through the accessibility, it will find that button and simulate a tap on that button. Okay. So the way it kind of works, and that's what Calabash is. Calabash basically runs in your iOS app as a, it's it's a it's actually a framework people build in, and part of the framework has an HTTP server, and the server is listening for requests. And on the other side of this, there's a script that runs that sends requests to the server to say, you know, tap the buttons that, that's titled login. So. From a top level, of the script that you'd write, uh, it uses this, this uh, syntax. I think it's called Gherkin. And right. you said you covered Cucumber before, so you're probably familiar with this, where you define, given a feature, um, you, you kind of have two levels of scripts. So you, you have the like a role-based type thing. So the, the idea to think through is, as a role, I want some action in order to achieve some goal, right? And then once you, you're achieving that goal, you say, okay, given this context, so I'm on a login screen, when the event occurs, when they've tapped the button, then assure that the, the main view comes up is a, is a real very simplified example, right? So you would write a script that very simply says, you know, given that I'm on the login screen, then I should see a, a username field, I should see a password field, and I should not see, you know, let's say I should not see my t- table view of, of actual content because I'm not logged in. Right. Right. Um, then you can say something like, I touched the login button, and then I should see a message saying, You haven't typed username and password. So you can, that's, you know, that's one scenario, you know, try to log in, 
without entering in, you know, user info. Mm-hmm. You can have another scenario that defines trying to log in that defines incorrect user info. Another scenario, try to log in with correct info, and, and then you can test the outcomes of, of all those different scenarios. Um, so that, that's that's kind of the top level thing. And you run that from a script that's you know just from the terminal, which makes it really easy to work with through something like um, Jenkins or or any of those you know continuous integration servers that will that can listen to like when you make a commit on your Git repository, for example, it can run a series of tests. And obviously, what that gives you is you know now you have this world where anything you change is tested, and it's not just tested from a unit test point of view where you're testing, you know, does this function, when I send X to this function, it should always return Y, right? It's testing what the user is actually seeing. It's testing from the point of view of, of what the user is doing and what the, the person who actually cares about the, you know, the product wants or expects. So as you can imagine from our point of view, it's great because we, we actually have clients. We don't, we don't do any internal apps. We have a couple hack projects that we do, but most of our work is through client work. So it gives us the ability to say, all right, client, client A, please, please look at this script. I know you're not a coder, but you can read this script. It, it defines what this, this screen is supposed to do. And they can say, yes, that's correct. And we can you know, implement it. We can test against it. And now we have a, a test that the user set or the user or the, the stakeholder is the one who cares about the product. You know, they're the one that's going to say, this is right. This is the correct action. They have tests that say they can confirm that this thing, this, this app behaves right. And then, you know, you can confirm it by running the script. So did any of that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Gorgeous stuff. This portion of the tablet show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the tablet show. So I, we know what Cucumber is, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, how does Calabash, I, I guess Calabash can, uh, ties this into iOS and into uh, Xcode. Is that the, the missing link there? That is the missing link. So what Calabash does is, and I hit on this a little bit, but they, you install a framework, um, which is in the iOS world, we're statically compiled. So it's a static library that you embed and, you know, import into your project. All right. Yes. You said that. Yeah. Right. And do you actually deploy it onto a phone? Yes, you can. Yep. It, you, you can deploy onto a phone. Um, 
you can run the script through the phone. Now your script has to be a little bit intelligent to get the IP of the phone, obviously, because once once you're not running on localhost, it, it has to figure out where the <laughs> where where it's sending um, its request to. Because if you remember what I said, that framework. What that that missing link between Cucumber and the, the iOS app is that framework, and what that framework has is an HTTP server that's listening for requests. So right. when I write a line like, you know, if I wrote a line that said, I should see a login button, Calabash executes it through Cucumber, which creates you know a command of some sort. That command is passed over to the to the app via HTTP. So this is why if you're running on a phone, you would need to know the IP of the, the device that you're targeting, right. which then converts it into, okay, it says it has this command that says, okay, well, the button, login button, was that? Well, because I'm mean, using accessibility, I would have had to tag my button as login button, okay? So it's going to say, looking in the view hierarchy, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like the, how the iOS um, view hierarchy works, but you basically, a view has sub-views in every... So it's a hierarchy. Right. <laughs> every view has subviews. Every view has subviews, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. it'll it'll look at the view hierarchy and see and find the find the button that has you know login. And then if it finds it, it'll do its check on it. It'll you know simulate a tap to it. It'll it, the great thing about Calabash what it adds is it also can simulate things like swipes. You know because obviously in the iOS world we have more than just taps and then field entries. Sure. So I, I can say scroll up on a table view. I can say swipe uh, on a cell and I can test it. You know, my swipe behavior works. Very properly. cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. We have the similar hierarchical uh, layout in XAML right. uh, on, on the .NET side. Um, so Calabash iOS is, is a project that you can get on, on Git and Calabash Android as well. But um, I guess Xamarin got behind Calabash and now uses that in their test cloud product. Is that right? I just learned that today, actually. I, I've, the, I've been working on another, actually, I've been using another one too. And I haven't looked at Calabash in a few, a few a month or so. And I just, when I was reviewing everything today, I was like, oh, wait, Xamarin's involved now. <laughs> Yeah, that's great that they're behind it. Yeah, and what's cool is I, I I haven't used Test Cloud, but the company that was behind Calabash initially, um, they had a service, and I think this is what Test Cloud might be doing. They have a service with you know a bunch of Android devices, a bunch of iOS devices all plugged into it, and you can supply scripts that you're writing. You know, you can supply your your app with the framework installed and the scripts to run, and you can run them on several devices without right. having to, you know have that in-house. Yeah, that's exactly what Test Cloud does. Right. Yeah, and uh, you're thinking of less painful, right? Yes, and actually they had a really cool demo. I, I don't remember how, uh, I don't, obviously I haven't looked in, like I said, I haven't looked in the Test Cloud much, but when Less Painful had it, they they had uh, all the app, all the phones in their library, or not library, but their, you know, test bed were hooked up to these little servos. And one of the other things you can tell your app to do through a script is to rotate. Right, because the apps are obviously rotatable, especially on a, on a tablet, <laughs> and you can tell it to rotate. And they had all these devices hooked up to a servo, so they have a video of <laughs> you know a test running, and then you know someone said rotate, and the, the servo rotates the device, and then the test continues. That's so cool. Yeah, it's one of my favorite videos I've ever seen for testing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably watched that a hundred times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but do you find that this ability to test lots of different devices is about solving the Android fragmentation problem? Like, I just don't see this necessary for iOS. 
I don't think it is totally necessary in iOS. I, I obviously I haven't run into it. So when I first learned about Calabash, I was working on a project that was it was more of a it was actually more of a framework. It was like a, a framework for other apps to use and it had a its own little view hierarchy that the, the client wanted to test. And we were building it simultaneously for Android and iOS. So I saw about Calabash and I was really excited because I thought that we could have, you know, one shared script that ran on both the Android side and on the iOS side. Because obviously on the Android side, it's really important, like you said. And they run into, like, we have a, at Two Toasters, we have a QA team. And they have a whole table full of devices over there. And there's, like, you know, probably a 70-30 split split between iOS or Android and iOS. Because there's a lot more Android devices for them to use. Um, that didn't quite work out because I think there were some differences in how the Android version of Calabash treated things versus how the iOS one did, but it was a good dream. <laughs> right, right. One thing that's neat on the less painful blog there, if you follow the links to an overview of Calabash iOS, and they talk about the architecture and they compare it with other functional testing systems. And I, I thought that was pretty cool. You know, they, they there's a, a few of them out there, Kif, IQ, Phone Monkey, yep. Zucchini. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's also Frank. Frank, there's yeah, one. Frank. <laughs> actually, I was curious. I was actually curious because when I last worked on Calabash, I, I had read an article that whoever, the, the guys that are less painful, I think, were trying to kind of blend how Frank worked, worked with Calabash, but it doesn't look like that happened. Or maybe hmm. it happened behind the scenes and I just haven't dug deep enough. Well, it's just great to see companies that, you know, they look around at what other people are doing and they take, you know, uh, the best ideas and sort of integrate them as well. I think there needs to be more of that, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I think it's another thing that's cool. So I, I told you about how I wanted the, Q, the, you know, I wanted to be able to give our clients the Gherkin script. Right. Um, that actually, it's a great idea. And I think there may be, there were some clients, like the one client I started with this, they were really excited about it. They took, they took those scripts and they built, they actually built on top of Cucumber, or I'm sorry, on top of Calabash. I think they even made a couple commits maybe. And they improved some things because they just took the scripts and were like, yes, this is exactly what we wanted. But I, I would say that most of our clients aren't technical. So even the idea of a script, even if it's human readable, is painful. And what's cool about something like KIF, which is the other one you mentioned, mm-hmm. is its tests are written in Objective C. So, as a you know, as an Objective C developer, that obviously fits right into my into my workflow already. So that's a, that's another great option if 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 you wanted to take a different route of of this type of testing. So, Josh. I like Cucumber. We've, we've talked about it a bit, and I like the sort of natural language uh, writing you can do there. But how do you, can you take all of those tests and make them work both on Android and iOS? Because I guess the apps are going to be a little bit different, right? That's correct. Yeah. The, I'd like to say, you know, I, I haven't run this, I haven't tried the, the script on both worlds lately. That was, right. that was an experience we tried earlier in the Calabash lifecycle. Um, and it might be completely possible now. Ideally, that that would be the case, obviously, right? Because if you're writing, yeah. if you have an app that works in both worlds, you want one test suite. Um, I think there was last I knew there was a lot of little minor differences in how Android worked versus how iOS worked, and it, the scripts couldn't be quite used side by side like that. 
and that's specifically with the cucumber one, obviously with the ones, the other one like Kif and I didn't even talk about UI automation, which is Apple's kind of foray into this world. They kind of just dip their toes in. They don't really go fully into it. So Apple built their own? Kind of. Uh, so I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Instruments. Instruments is this tool that Apple provides for. It does, you know, you can you can test your frame rate. You can. It has a time profiler. It has a memory leaks tool. It has all sorts of just like really amazing tools for like getting to the bottom of bugs or or even just testing performance. Cool. Uh, in fact, like the app I'm working on right now, we're obviously in that the last couple of weeks of the project, so we're just pounding on performance right now. So I've been living in Instruments for a while. Um, one of the tools in Instruments is called UI automation, and what that is is it's a it, it, it's an automation suite that allows you to do exactly what Calabash does in that. You can talk to accessibility elements, so you can say, find the button that has this label and tap it, right? The, but it, it runs, it's actually all JavaScript-based. So, right. Yeah. And it, and this is one of the cool things is they have a, uh, they have kind of a script builder. So while you're in instruments, you can, you can, you know, tell it to record what you're doing and it'll actually sit there and write this, write the JavaScript out for you. So that, that's definitely a great other alternative to this type of thing. Um, the, the only problem I've seen with that, and again, because Apple's t- testing, you know, tool chains that are, are still kind of growing, there's to get it to run from a command line. there's a lot of hacks involved in that. So it's not quite as like with cucumber, you can, that's, you know, built to run from, from this type of context where, you know, UI automation is built to run, you know, you're sitting at your machine and you're, you're running instruments on, on your binary and you're right. testing it directly. Um, but I have seen scripts. There are a couple of scripts out there. Um, one, there's a developer in the Cocoa community named Jonathan Penn. He actually wrote a monkey script test, which uses autom- UI automation to just, you know, treat your app like it's being used by a monkey. <laughs> <I guess>. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that is. Just bang away on everything? It, it just taps away, it swipes, it you know scrolls, it taps three buttons at the same time and taps into things. It's 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 full it, it's completely a random pass that your app and you just run it for a long period of time and it's a great way to test for like unknown memory leaks, right? Because you, you, a, a tester is never going to think about all the different weird things that can happen when they happen randomly. <laughs> So, um, so that's a, that's a whole other option is, is the UI automation and, and you can obviously write scripts because Mm. again, it's JavaScript. Yeah. Well, you write anything you want there really. So how is it making JavaScript run on the phone? Um, well, it's running, it's not running on the phone. It's running through the instruments tool. Okay. Yeah. So you, you're doing your commands from the outside, but they're being passed into the tool. Right. And, and because it's, I'm not actually sure what the mechanism they use because you don't embed an HTTP server or anything. Um, Right. It's probably something that Apple keeps private that we just don't know about because um, <laughs> there's a lot of that in, in, in our world. So Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's really, really cool. I, I actually, I, I, you mentioned in my in my intro um, that I run the Cocoa Heads, which is our kind of Cocoa user group right. in Raleigh. And I got, actually had Jonathan Penn come down and do a, do a demo of that at one of his... At, w- at one of our meetings and it just sat there and ran away going crazy. <laughs> so it's pretty fun. Awesome. 
Now, I, I mean, I asked you about running this on the phone, and that's cool. But if I want to get to really rapid testing, I want a lot of automation around this. And I would think that having to put it on the phone and run it from the phone slows things down. Is it better to do this in simulation? Is that accurate enough? Um, I think for functional testing, it's probably accurate enough. If, if your goal is to test that things work a certain way, it's accurate. Now, if you want to test performance-wise, because you have to remember on iOS, it's a simulator, not a not an emulator, right? right? Right. So you're you're going to get great performance because you're using your laptop or your Mac Pro. Sure. I mean, if you're developing on one of those new Mac Pros that came out this week, it, well, I guess it'll come out in December, but, you know, you'd be like, I have the most amazing iPhone and yeah. it will it'll suck when you run it on, on, on the device. Right. So it, it really depends on your goals. So if your goal is to test the, you know, the logic, then yeah, I mean, you can, you can have this, like actually the client that I'm talking about, they have, they don't use Jenkins, they use team server or team city. Right. And they have a couple devices plugged in and it also runs in the simulator and they, they'll just sit there and it runs on a Mac mini in, in some closet up in their office up in New York. And, Every commit that's every commit that's to the master branch will just run it through that whole, you know, whole suite of things, and it'll run it both in the simulator and it'll run it on the on the devices. So, so could you decompose blocks of tests and use multiple phones to keep the speed up? Um, well, I think with something like with something like Team City, and I think Jenkins does this. I haven't done this in Jenkins, but you have the ability to have like a parent-child type relationship with your CI, right? Um, so I could, yeah, I think you could, it, it might take a little bit of creativity, but I think you could break up your, cause your scripts are all single files or, I mean, ideally you would have, you know, a Kirkin script and, you know, file A, file B that is different scenarios. So you could feed, you know, some subset of your tests to one. Sure to one instance, subset to another instance. Then how do I automatically load this stuff onto the phone? Like, is the phone in a particular mode or do you actually have to touch a button on the phone itself? I'm just, I'm all about the automation here. So once you build it into your app, it's going to be included when it gets, when it gets executed on the phone. So part of the, right. run, part of the run process will just take that, that whole binary over, including the, the dependencies. So you'll basically, you know, there's nothing specific you have to do because you've you've included this framework in your application. So you're lit- this is just part of your build process. It literally pushes it. Is it typically it's typically via USB, right? Like just pushes it on the phone. That's correct. And then USB. executes it. And then executes it. Correct. Okay. And yeah. then it's just and then the the testing library is just part of the app at that point. So it's going to go through all the tests. Right. So that's the thing. So it it executes it. And it's just sitting there running with an HTTP server. So if the script never runs, you're just sitting, the app's just sitting there saying, what's going on, guys? Right. So then when the script starts running, it starts sending those messages over HTTP. So that 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 scenario is not coupled between, you know, through the build process. So the build process will build it and run it. And then the, the script process sends, you know, messages over the air or over the over the wire, whichever way we want to go. Um, the other thing to note too here is you also don't want this to be on the build that you send to Apple. No. Um, right. So you, this is, you, this would be something that you would only include in a target that's, you know, built for testing. So Xcode has this capability of creating multiple targets, multiple schemes now, which a scheme can have multiple targets. So you could build a scheme or a target set that's just for testing. And, and that's the one that includes Calabash. Your, your release build would just build without it. 
Nice. So again, I'm thinking, I'm thinking in terms of Jenkins as well, where I could, I run this whole block of text and if everything comes back positive, then you do another build with the test framework out and let that sit saying, okay, this is ready to push to Apple. You don't push it anywhere, but it's ready. Exactly. And actually a great thing nowadays, um, this would seem, this actually seems really scary to me, but I guess it's possible. Apple just released um, this transport API which actually allows you to automate uploading to Apple. So huh. you could you could directly build your system in such a, such a way that it runs a test. If it fails, obviously it doesn't do anything. If it succeeds, it builds the the, the release build and then uploads it to Apple. You can obviously think we have uh, other systems like I don't know if you guys have heard of Hockey App or TestFlight. No. Um, which are these are like over the air deployment of test builds. So. When you build for Apple, you don't you, you get you know your binary can only be run on devices that have been provisioned through Apple to run the binary. Right. So so the way it works is you actually go you get the the old way. Okay, this is where, when when we first started doing iOS before TestFlight and Hockey App came around, we would have to we built our app. We'd go to Apple, we register the devices. So we had to call we had to find our testers. We had to say hey. Find your UDID and send it to me. Well, as you guys know, normals, I guess, aren't really savvy. So then you have to figure out a way to tell them how to find their their device ID. Once you do that, then you have to have them send it to you. And then you have to take that ID and take it to Apple and register it, which uh, that whole process is is obviously painful. And then then you have to to down you have to add that device to a profile, which is a, it's just like a security profile. A pro, I'm sorry, a provisioning profile, which is what provisions the app to run that device. And then you have to download that profile and build it and build the app with that profile such that then you have a, a binary that is now provisioned to run on the devices, right? So that obviously is, I, I, I imagine you guys are just falling on the floor in pain just from my little bit of description there. Trying not to, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Trying but, not to, wincing a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's gotten a lot better over time, of course, but early on, man, it was a lot of people were just like their heads exploded. <laughs> um, <laughs> so nowadays, test flight and in in a hockey app have like web based thing where you can you go to their website or you, you you send an invite to them. The user taps it and signs up for the service. The service then figures out their ID, sends it to you. You can you still have to take it and put it up onto Apple and. Xcode will now download that provisioning profile for you once you've updated it, and then you can build it. And now what's cool is TestFlight and Hockey App have like built like Mac apps that will sit there and watch when you build things and say, "Do you want to upload this to TestFlight? We see that you've built something with this, you know, with this bundle identifier. So does that mean you want to update it?" And you say yes, and it uploads it and then sends an email to out to your testers. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, it's really great, and they have a lot of like crash. Support so they have a I think it's called Flight Path so they have this thing where you can um, get crash report crash reports you know feedback from your from the testers all that kind of stuff so back to the testing world you know you could build your script in such a way that tests it and if it's a you know if if you're building a test build it could automatically publish it to TestFlight if it's building a release build it can automatically publish it to Apple so you can have this fully automated system the Apple side of that seems scary to me but. It's possible. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's exciting. You know, I don't think it's that important when you talk about commercial apps, but we talk, we're starting to see more and more 
internal applications for organizations that are needing new features steadily, like it or, or their B2B apps. And so getting this cycle tightened up, I think is becoming really important. It, it really is. And I mean, I, I imagine there's a lot of companies that build like white label apps where they, you know, they have the core app and then it's deployed under different names. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine a world. And, and it actually, I'll, I'll tell you what, too, if the app has something like in-app purchasing, yeah, that used to be that used to be a scenario. You have to like register each purchase with Apple, and I think that's also now scriptable through that same API. So like, awesome. you can even automate the, the the process of you know I need to add a new like. Imagine if you're writing a book like an ebook app where you have thousands of ebooks and they're all in-app purchases. Somebody has to do that. Somebody has to enter all that. Right. That's that's obviously horrible, especially if it's a growing process. So it sounds like you're not using any sort of cloud infrastructure for testing right now. Do you plan to do that? Well, I, I think maybe on the on the Android side, I'm not too up to speed on what they're doing. Um, we, we we have a QA team now. We have two guys that they do full like like you know manual testing, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's their that's their job. Is every app we actually fight over getting the QA testers because you know we're we have I think at any given time we have you know, maybe five or six projects going on. So we're wow. always fighting to get, or get our QA guys. So I think, I think going forward, getting something that gets the easy things out of the way, you get, you know, gets the, the easier automatable tasks out of the way so that our QA time is much more focused is a right. good thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I really think there's a benefit to like somebody being there and actually playing with the app and trying things that nobody else thinks of. It's it's almost like halfway between a logical test and a monkey test, right? Right, right. Because they're logically thinking through it, but they're also they're also monkeys with fingers, right? So <laughs> being really thorough. How's that for a polite way? Yeah, that's that's. I, I give the guys a hard time, so I can call them monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next for you? Um. Well, I just got back from San Francisco yesterday, so we're we're finishing that. And I think I'm going on. To another project that actually the project that I started using Calabash on, so I might have to dive back into that world again very soon. Yeah, um, but not much. I mean, any new apps on the horizon that uh, you can talk about? Uh, well, the app I just finished is called Levocracy, and that's the one that was featured on design on design by design for iOS seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a it's an app that has. It's kind of like, in a way, you can think of it like Pinterest, but you can buy things. So they have a really interesting infrastructure in that you you see a list of things that are recommendations from your friends, and when you see it, you can buy it, and then their back-end system will take control of it and buy it for you. So it's almost like, if you think of Pinterest with a personal assistant. Yeah, nice. Right? And, and it's really a great app, and we, we, we did the iOS 6 version, then we upgraded it for 7, and... There's a lot of really nice design elements in it. That's pretty um, cool. Yeah. So you just see something that somebody recommends and say, "Yep, I'll buy that," and everything else happens for you. That's right. And yeah. you can go. You even go in and you can create your own list. We don't. We don't have support for it in the in the app yet, but on their website, you can create like collections of things. So like, I can have an electronics collection of things that I recommend, and then you can come in as a user and buy it. And the cool thing is, you get credit when somebody buys it from you. So you get like, there's in-app credits that you can use to purchase things. 
So when somebody buys, like if you recommend it to me, you know, an iPad touch or an iPod touch, I, and I bought it through your recommendation, you get some credit kickback credit from that. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So it kind of makes the whole social thing work, doesn't it? Yeah. Little, I think little that's kickback. Cool. That's right. <laughs> well, and it's also the word of mouth thing. Like nothing fully captures that idea of, you know, we're sitting around the table or the bar drinking a beer and I'm like, Oh dude, did you see this new, whatchamacallit? Yeah. I want to buy it. I'm going to go buy it. Yeah. You know, that kind of world. But Obviously, there's a lot of other things like, you know, girl stuff. <laughs> right, sure. So. Well, Josh Johnson, thanks very much. Sounds like you've got your hands full, and, and thanks for the, for the oversight here. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And we'll see you next time on The Tablet Show. It's not too much, but it needs a lot.